I'm Shari Kovacs, I'm a senior lecturer here at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine and I'm in the Department of Social and Environmental Health Research. I'm also the director of the NIHR Health Protection Research Unit in Environmental Change and Health. Well, we've got some potentially severe weather developing across the southeast corner of the UK through this evening. Our Health Protection Research Unit is really looking at environmental change in the UK. The, the key risks associated with climate change, for example, in the UK are really around dealing with higher temperatures, more heat waves, more extreme heatwave events, how would we manage those, and flooding. Temperatures are on the rise as we go into the beginning of the next week. So The heatwave story is very interesting because until about 2000, well, until 2003, when we had that extreme heatwave in central Europe, mostly France, there was very little public health awareness. It wasn't on the public health agenda, although heatwaves have always occurred. But unlike other events like flooding, they don't cause much damage to infrastructure, so they can tend to be invisible. And also, a lot of the people who die are people who are older who, or who may be ill, and again, the impacts were fairly invisible. But the heatwave in 2003 was fairly catastrophic. It killed about 35,000 people across sort of central Europe. It was 2,000 people in the UK over a 10-day period. That's above what you would expect. So it was very severe, and after that, the decision-makers responded very quickly and the following year nearly every country in Europe had a heatwave plan. So now we're more than 10 years on from that so there's been a lot there's been a few more heatwaves and there's been a lot of interest in developing the plans what what are the most effective methods, measures to prevent people getting sick or dying during a heatwave and we understand that heat has quite a, a wide range of effects it can affect injuries for example we've just done some work showing that Injuries in children increase during hot weather, for example, presumably because they're, they're playing outside more. And we've also looked at the burden on GPs. So it's not just around um, deaths, the acute effect on mortality, but also effects on morbidity, you know, demands on health service use and so on. And are there any other kind of health issues that stem? So is there anything specific amongst adults? Well, there's a lot of interest now in, in very extreme temperatures, as, as the failure to address climate change at the international level sort of carries on, people are worried about very high levels of warning and what this might mean, you know, to our daily activities and for people who have to work outside. So physiologically, the human body has, has quite strict limits about what temperatures it can cope with. And if temperatures go above a certain level, then work activity has to slow down. What's that temperature? Above about 26 degrees, people's work can go decline so not that higher temperature and obviously if anyone goes outside in the heat for too long and you get heat stroke you've got a quite a high risk of dying it's a very severe issue next week, so we're expecting uh, temperatures to reach the low 30s on tuesday or wednesday uh, how's this going to happen well we're going to see a big what change. would you say the real kind of focus is or what the important aspects are that we need to understand more about and therefore what your research is looking into to help deal or mitigate heat waves specifically for now so one of the things i've been involved with was the uk the, the uk government's second climate change risk assessment so in the uk we have the climate change act so, um, like many other countries, we have some legislation about addressing climate change. And for the UK, this means they've set up an arm's-length body called the Climate Change Committee that monitors progress. And every five years, they go through, or they undertake a risk assessment, which is obviously reviewing the scientific evidence about the risks. 
And then that is used to input into a national adaptation programme, which is the response of government agencies and departments about how they're going to reduce the risk of climate change. I was involved in drafting the evidence review for the chapter called People in the Built Environment, which included impacts on communities, impacts on health, impacts on health systems, um, and impacts on buildings um, and the built environment um, in general. And from that, we found that there's not much evidence that we're particularly good at dealing with floods and particularly good at dealing with heat waves. And that's really where the research needs to be now. We need to have a much better understanding of what's effective and how the risks are going to change over time. And is this something that's going to be quite specific to the UK? Does it really vary, you know, depending on what setting and country you're in, how you should deal with it and be ready for it? Well, yes and no, I think. So um, the, the main strategies for dealing with heat, for example, are probably similar everywhere. There are two main modes of dealing with this. One is the public health actions, which are often focused around warnings and responses to warnings and having a heat health plan. You know, health promotion, advising people what to do in hot weather, how to avoid um, exposures and so on. And the second main mode of intervention is around the built environment, ensuring that houses do not overheat, which is around the design as well as the use of the buildings. So research by our partners at UCL for the HPRU has shown that about 20% of of current dwellings in in England are at risk of overheating, even in an average summer. So the key issue here is there's been a lot of focus around making houses more energy efficient, and we know the government's put a lot of money into those sorts of policies but if you make the house too energy efficient and you seal it up so you've reduced ventilation then that can have unintended consequences which include both the risk of overheating so it's too hot it's uncomfortable possibly bad for your health and increases in indoor air pollution which is also bad for your health. Storm Abigail has moved away northwards now and the winds that it's been causing across uh, the northern part of the UK have eased But what we're now concerned about is what happens next. Heavy rain and the likelihood of flooding across some central and northern parts of the UK. So flooding is a much more complicated issue, both in terms of what the different types of flooding and what causes them. And obviously the the management issues, you know, what coastal defences or flood defences have been built and how they've been maintained, that's a key determinant of flooding. And how you make those decisions about what to protect is very important. It's really a question of what we value and how we value it. So whether you're protecting buildings or farmland or property or people, those are all value judgments as well. And um, we feel there's more that could be done about valuing the human and social costs of flooding because we don't feel they're they're properly quantified yet within those wider calculations. But it is very difficult because the water has to go somewhere. So you, people do need to make difficult decisions. So in terms of trends, I mean, there is overall an increase in flood risk. But a lot of that has been driven by more people living in flood zones. I mean, here globally, the pattern's less clear um, for the UK. But it's certainly very clear that unless there's quite a major investment in flood defences, then climate change is likely to increase flood risk, certainly for coastal flooding. And what are some of the health impacts of floods and and the risks that come with it? Um, So fortunately in the UK, the the direct or the most obvious risk from flooding, which is drownings, drownings are relatively low, but we don't feel we've really got a good idea of how many people are 
killed by flooding each year because this information is not routinely collected. And also um, people can have car accidents or other accidents associated with flooding, so there's a lot of disagreement about what you would actually count as a, as a flood death. The main concern for the UK is the long-term mental health consequences of flooding. So we have very good evidence now regarding impacts on anxiety, depression and post-traumatic stress disorder as well. And um, Public Health England has undertaken a survey of flooded households, people who were affected by the floods in the winter of 2013 and 14. And hopefully those results will be published soon. So we're working with our partners in the Environment Agency, Natural Resources Wales and SEPA to communicate the risk of flooding uh, in some of these areas over the next 48 hours. So people should. There's quite a lot that is done in response to a flood, but it, the thing is it's very patchy, so it depends very much on, on local providers. So um, we know that there's quite a lot of help that's offered. It does depend a lot where you are. But we know that there are some specific interventions to help people address their mental health. For example, some areas have offered um, CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy, or other kind of health services have been made available. And the people are interested in it because we think under climate change that new areas will get flooded. There are obviously some communities that do get flooded quite frequently and are very well prepared for it. But there are some people who are repeatedly flooded and then, you know, it would have very serious consequences.